0: we're going to just have a little time of intimacy. So I want you just to relax, and I want to really just dive into this story. And my hope is to be able to tell this story in such a way that will move us, because I really believe that this is probably one of the most moving stories in all of the Bible. In fact, the way Luke tells the stories the story, the way he uses his language, it's pretty evident that Luke wants us to be mesmerized by every detail of the story and to be moved by it. So it's sort of my job to paint a really good picture of the characters and the scenes so that we can all just feel it as we're in here together tonight. So that's what I want to do. Um, Our story has two main characters. The first character is Simon. He's a Pharisee, and he's invited Jesus over for dinner. And then the second character is this woman. She's just known as the woman of the city who's a known sinner. And then, of course, there's Jesus, and he probably is the main character. But I really see Jesus as being kind of the storyteller. He's taking Simon's thoughts, and he's taking the woman's actions, and he's using those circumstances in order to tell a story and in order to teach us something. And he's teaching us about grace and faith and salvation. In fact, That's kind of important because it's sort of kind of the outline of the whole text, grace and then faith and salvation. And I'll just go ahead and tell you tonight that that's going to be the outline of this message. It's grace and then faith and then salvation. Maybe maybe you would like to say that with me, if you would. Grace and then faith and then salvation. It's grace, which is this free gift from God. God gives us grace, and it's grace because we can't earn it and we can't do anything to receive it. And that grace leads to faith, which is me believing in my heart that that is true, that the grace that he is giving me is true. And then that faith leads to salvation, which means I'm saved from the the sin that I had. I'm saved from from the, the distance that I had from God because of that grace that was offered. Another way of saying it would be this, when you believe in God's grace, you will be saved. Or perhaps a better way of saying it, which is the way the Apostle Paul said it, it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. And so that's the outline of this story, and it's the outline of our night together. So now that we are on the same page, grace, faith, salvation, let's dive into the story and really be saturated by it. So let's set the scene. It starts off in verse 36. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 36, if you missed that. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, I think that this Pharisee, we find out his name is later Simon. I think he's a, I think he's a nice enough guy. Because he's invited Jesus over for dinner, and when people invite me over for dinner, I have to assume they're being nice to me, right? And that's, of course, they're just trying to, you know, feed me something that's going to hurt me, right? But, but, but most of the time, when you invite someone over for dinner, they're just being nice. So I think he's a nice enough guy. Um, later on, he's going to speak to Jesus in respectful terms, and I see Simon as a seeker. In fact, I would see him really as a skeptical seeker. He's a little skeptical about who Jesus is. He wants to believe who Jesus says that he is, but he just just doesn't know, you know, so I'm going to just check him out and bring him to my house and maybe ask him a thing or two. And so there we are. Jesus is sitting at the table, and it says he's reclining at the table, which means he's probably laying down like they did in in this oriental custom, and his feet would be back behind him, and the rest of the guests are here at the table. And then the next verse says, and behold, a woman from the city who was a well-known sinner, um, hearing that Jesus was there, went home and got her alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, verse 2 is when it gets interesting, right? Like National Enquirer-type interesting. Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house, and then Luke says, and behold... And that Greek word is a powerful word. It literally means look. I kind of like to say like this, boom, right? Jesus was sitting there eating with his friends, and then boom, a woman comes in, an inappropriate kind of woman because she's called the woman of the city. What kind of woman is that? And she's a well-known sinner. Now, this woman is never given a name. We never hear her name. I scarcely believe we ever even see her face because as she comes into the room, her face is always down here at Jesus' feet. Luke tells us every move she makes. There's only two verses in the Bible about her. And yet I think she's probably one of the most popular, most famous characters in the Bible. Would you agree? She's the woman with the alabaster jar that washes Jesus' feet. Now coming into the room, I just want you to know this, would have shook the whole room, I mean, and everyone in it. Because here's a room full of Pharisees, full of religious snobs, if you will, and in comes this known sinful woman. Now, when the Bible says she was a sinful woman, it doesn't mean like what you and I mean when we say, you know, there's a sinful person, because we see everyone as a sinful person, right? All have sinned and fallen short. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. But in the Bible, when it says she was a known sinner, It doesn't mean that she just has some sin. It means that she has chosen a lifestyle that is completely contrary to God's ways. She's ostracized herself from God's grace and from God's people. And so she would have been ostracized, rightly so, in the community. So that being said, most scholars believe she's either a prostitute or maybe she's just a really um, awful adulteress. I, I, I want to just imagine her as a prostitute, I think by her actions, the things that she does, her personality that we see in this story and the reaction she gets from everyone else, she's probably a prostitute. So I want you to imagine this gal. She knows Jesus is in this Pharisee's house. The last place a prostitute wants to be is in a Pharisee's house. She doesn't care. And she goes home and she gets her prized possession. It's this alabaster flask with ointment, probably very expensive, And she comes into this home of the Pharisee. And you know there's whispering. what What is she doing here? Who does she think she is? That would have shook the room. But then what happens in the next verse would have shook it like a violent earthquake. Because what she's going to do is just going to be scandalous and provocative and just off, if you know what I mean. She comes in. And the Bible says, and she was wetting Jesus' feet with her tears, she was wiping it with her hair, she was kissing it with her lips, and she was anointing it with her oil. And the Greek is pretty powerful. It's very methodical, very slow, very tender, and it's very cyclical. So it's over and over again. Literally, it sounds like she was wetting, and she was wiping, and she was kissing, and she was anointing, and she was wetting, and she was wiping, and she was kissing, and she was anointing, and there's a lot going on in these four verbs. For instance, the first one says she's wiping her, his feet with her hair, which means not only does a prostitute come into this Pharisee's house, but she's let her hair down, which if you know anything about that culture, that's a no-no. A girl's hair is her beauty. It's her private beauty, and it's only seen down in the home privacy of her and her husband, but she's come into this room, and she's let it all out, And if you think about this with me, if she's a prostitute, I can pretty much assume that she's got a gorgeous head of long, shiny black hair. I mean, this would be part of her business. It'd be a tool of her trade. And so not only would it be inappropriate that she was in the room, and it would be inappropriate that she would touch Jesus, it'd be extremely inappropriate that she would let her hair down, but it would also have been invigorating. The room is just on pins and needles. What is going on? And she's wiping it with her hair. And then the Bible says, and she's kissing his feet. And I want to tell you about that word, kissing. In Greek, the word is phileo. Doesn't that just sound like an interesting kiss? It does to me. Phileo. <laughs> now, the Bible uses the word kiss a lot. You know, Jesus was kissed by Judas, you know, in, in a betrayal. Um, Paul tells us to kiss one another with a holy kiss. The Bible says, raise up and kiss the son. The word kiss is in the Bible quite a bit. But the word kataphileo is not. It's a very rare term. And just to give you an idea of what the word means, how, how the kiss is expressed, it's also used in a story we covered not too long ago about the prodigal son. The father had lost his son. His son was gone for a long time, as good as dead. And the Bible says that he was sitting on his porch, and he noticed a long way away, his son was coming home, and so he got up off the porch, threw his lemonade, and ran down the road to meet his son, and he embraced him, and he katafileo, kissed him. Any dads in the room? Yeah, what does that kiss look like? I mean, I know. I lost my kid in Kohl's once, and I just drooled all over his face. You're home, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. And the Greek word literally means to kiss over and to kiss over and to kiss over very tenderly. So imagine this scene. She's crying, she's wiping Jesus' dirty feet with her hair, and she's kissing over and over and over again. And then she's anointing his feet with this very expensive oil that would have been aromatic and filling the room. So we've got a prostitute with long black hair and a smell of something good and something really awkward happening to this man's feet. Can you feel that? Can someone say awkward? Yeah. And all along, Jesus is sitting there eating. It's <laughs> pretty interesting. Now, before we go any further in the story, I want to ask a question. And the question that I'm asking is what is this woman thinking? I mean, she's got to know that this is provocative. She's got to know that this is off limits. You know what I mean? This is past the drawing, past the, way past the line. What is it that she's doing? Why is she doing this? What has moved her to care not what anyone thinks, go into the Pharisee's house, and wash Jesus' feet with her tears, her hair, and her ointment, and then to kiss his feet. In fact, I had said earlier that I wanted to discuss things in a group, and, and, and you don't have to talk. If you're a not a talking type, that's okay. But I really wanted to encourage some intimacy and some dialogue, and so I want to ask this question. The question is, what do you think the woman is doing? Why do you think the woman is doing this? So what I'd like to do is just for two minutes, I'll put, it, I'll put the question on the screen for two minutes, and you guys discuss it in your groups. And if you want to move to a different table, it's okay, you know, because if you want a bigger group or whatever, that's cool too. Well, I feel like that was about like two minutes. And so um, I, I'm curious as to know what you, what you talked about on your table. Anyone would share it? Maybe, maybe you can appoint a spokesman from your table to kind of share the overall arching theme. Anyone? Alex? Okay. So for those of you who couldn't hear, he said, we basically came to the conclusion that she was only thinking about Jesus. That she wasn't concerned about what, how shocking it was. She wasn't concerned what anyone thought. She just said, it's all about Jesus. I'm here to worship Jesus. She's not even thinking. She's, no one else is there but Jesus. I like that. Sean said um, that she came offering the only thing she knew how to offer. That she saw herself as probably not having anything to offer Christ. But the only thing she could offer was to cry and to wash his feet. And that was all she had. And and everything, all of her, I like that. Well, this is, I think it's a good question because we, 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 we tend to think we already know the answer, but when you have to answer the question, you're like, oh, wow, I guess I never really thought about it. Scholars actually believe that she's probably already had an encounter with Jesus in some way. So maybe Jesus has actually already spoken to her, and I kind of like to think that way. You know, like maybe Jesus just passed her on the street and said, woman, I love you, or whatever, and then she's just, just bawling and coming in and washing his feet. If, if that's not true, then it's very possible that she has had an encounter with Jesus' message. Because if we're in chapter 7, and if you look at the rest of 7 and 6 and 5, Jesus has been doing a lot of talking and a lot of teaching, and we've actually covered some of that passages here he's been welcoming tax collectors and prostitutes and he's basically saying i'm here so that the unrighteous the lost can find god so he's he's offering forgiveness to wicked despicable people already and perhaps she's thinking he's the only man who would ever accept me for who i am he's the only man who would show me grace and so she's already had some sort of encounter with jesus and she's just responding and that's our our first point, right? It's grace. She's receiving grace, and because of that grace, she's just acting in a response to that grace. Now, on the flip side, we have Simon, and I want to contrast these two, because I think it's what Luke wants us to do. We have this woman who doesn't care about anything but Jesus, and just wants to exhibit her faith and and worship him, but we have Simon, and it says in verse, is that 39? It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, so he's talking to himself. And I just want to just you know, confess to all of you, I do this all the time. I talk to myself in the car, and I pretend I'm on the phone. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." So so, like I said before, I think that Simon is a seeker, but I think he's a skeptical seeker. He's checking Jesus out, and he's saying, you know, if he really was a prophet, I mean, if he really did have connection with God, he would know what I know, which is that she's a sinful woman, and he apparently doesn't know that, so I'm starting to write him off. It's okay to be skeptical. Some of you in this room tonight, you might be skeptical, just like Simon. I, in my life, have been skeptical. I see myself as a skeptical person. So skepticism is okay. In fact, I would say it's good. If you're wrestling with doubt, if you have skepticism, you need to deal with that doubt. Christianity is not blind, ignorant faith. You know, we, there, there's truth to this, and you need to wrestle with that to find the truth. Incidentally, next month, August 4th, is our last preview service and our last installment of Jesus Loves Sinners. We'll talk about a man who has a lot of doubt and how Jesus loves him and encourages him through that doubt. I've been invited at times to like these pyramid schemes. Have you ever been to one of those? When a guy's standing there telling you how rich he is and how if you join his pyramid, you're going to be rich too. And I'm like so skeptical. I'm thinking, if you're so rich, why are we here in this cheap motel? (laughs) (laughs) And why did you serve Folgers coffee? This stuff is gross, you know? And I'm skeptical. I'm just looking at everything he's doing and thinking. And I'm not finding, you know, that I'm going to get rich by doing what this guy did. And I see... Simon, in the same way, here's Jesus, and if he's a prophet, then how come he doesn't know what I know? Which she should not be in this room, and she should not be touching him. Okay, so we got two people here. We've got Simon, who's a skeptic, and we've got the woman who's a worshipper, and she's all in. As as Alex said, she's just throwing her whole self in. And this got me thinking a little bit. How would I describe myself as a worshipper? I would say I'm a heady kind of a guy, but I'm not a skeptic, you know? So I might worship, you know, like, this song is not really theologically inappropriate or appropriate. (laughs) And I'm not a sappy foot kisser, you know what I mean? I'm not going to be like weeping, oh, Jesus, I want to kiss and rub on your feet. But then I have to ask myself, but what am I? You know, I worship in spirit and truth. That's what I am. What is that really? And 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 I'm wrestling a little bit. It's like, where's my love? Where's my devotion? Because what this woman is doing is showing love. In fact, Jesus is gonna make that term love the theme of the evening. He's gonna say, look at her love, look at her love. She's coming in in here out of love for Christ because he has already given her grace. And he's saying, look how much she loves me. And then I'm thinking, how much do I love him? And, and, And how does my worship exhibit that love? And I thought that was a good question (laughs) that I was asking myself as I was talking to myself. And I thought we should ask that question together as a community. So so here's the question. What kind of worshiper are you? Are you a skeptic? And if you are, I want you to know it's okay. Or are you a sappy, teary, emotional, you know, raising your hands in the sky and just, I don't care what people think, I love Jesus. Or you you don't know what you are. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. Let's take two minutes to kind of discuss that in a group. Let's see what what we, we think of ourselves when it comes to worship. Jesus um, is, is sitting here and, and Simon is saying, I wonder what this, what, why Jesus doesn't see what happens, what's happening here. And then the next section starts with um, verse verse 39. Now the Pharisee had invited, he asked these questions. And then verse 40 says this, and Jesus answering said to him, see, so Jesus is answering his mental thought. I like that. Simon, I have something to say to you he said. So Simon is thinking, Hi, oh, is this guy really who he says he is? Because I'm wondering. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that he speaks to Jesus respectfully. And this term teacher, he's being respectful. He's saying, he's saying, to teach us something. And what I really hear coming out of Simon's mouth is like, thank goodness, because I'm so wanting someone to say something, because we're all freezing in this room and we need someone to break the ice, you know? And so please say something. Tell us what you're thinking because we're wondering if you were thinking anything at all. Here's this woman drooling all over your feet and you even said a word. Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, thank goodness, please. We want to know what you're thinking. So Jesus tells a story as he always does. And it goes like this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's how you pronounce it. And the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Jesus asks Simon a question, and if you're smart, and I think most of you in the room are, you know that Jesus is putting Simon in a trap, and in fact, this is customary in this tradition, in, in, in this culture. If you were debating with someone, you would ask a question, and that question would trap them, and so if you notice, the Pharisees never answer any of Jesus' questions, Right? They'll ask Jesus a question, and then Jesus will ask them a question, and then they'll say, well, we don't know the answer to your question, he goes, well, neither will I answer your question, and so it's a, it's a culture of questions, but another reason why I think Simon is a seeker and why he's, he, he's, he's a nice enough guy is he answers Jesus' question. He, he, he says this, I suppose, which is cautious, right? He knows this is a trap, but he's going to answer it anyway. I suppose the one with the greater debt, and Jesus says, you have answered correctly, So this is a cordial conversation. No hostility here, right? And the way I see it is this. Jesus says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. But before I say it to you, I want to tell you a story. Then I want to ask you a question. I want to make sure you're tracking with me. Okay, so here's my story, blah, 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 blah. What do you think is the answer to the question I'm going to ask you? Okay, you answered the question correctly. So now I know we're all on the same page. Now I want to tell you the thing that I said I wanted to tell you. And here's what Jesus does. Look at this verse. Then... Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, and I just love this. He's talking to Simon. Simon, now I understand that you understand that I understand that you understand. So now here's the thing I want to ask you. Do you see this woman? That's just that's so powerful. And I can hear Simon say, Yeah. Yeah, we see the woman. In fact, we were wondering if you saw the woman. We all see the Yes, we see the woman. Please get on with it. Tell us what you're going to tell us because we're dying to hear. The suspense is killing me. And then Jesus says this. If you want to follow along, this is a little bit of uh, text. It's verse 40. Uh, for turning to the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, but she, from the time I came in, has not ceased kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sin, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Wow. So I should tell you this. Jesus says, Simon, you see here this woman now you, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet when I came in the house, and I, and I should tell you that in that culture it was customary that the guests would have their feet washed because they've been walking in the desert in their sandals and they're dirty. But it's not necessary that they wash the feet. I mean, it's not necessary that um, Simon is rude to Jesus by not washing his feet. It would have been nice. Then Jesus says, "You didn't give me a kiss," and you know, in the Bible, in this culture, it's customary to receive a kiss. Hey, welcome to my home. Here's a kiss. European. But it wouldn't have been necessary for Simon to give Jesus a kiss, especially since Simon's not like Jesus' best friend or anything. It would not have even really been customary for the gas to be anointed with oil on his head, right? So I think that what Jesus is really saying here is like, you know, Simon, you didn't even do ordinary things for me when I came in. You didn't even just wash my feet. And you didn't do above ordinary things and just really greet me with a kiss. And you didn't do extraordinary things, you know, and just really treat me like the man of the hour and and anoint my head with oil and just make me feel like I was really, really, really the guest of honor here. But she, well, she didn't do ordinary things either. And she didn't do above ordinary things. She only did extraordinary things. She didn't just wash my feet, but she washed them with her body, her tears. And she took her beautiful hair and she made that hair dirty as she washed my feet. And she didn't just kiss me, but she has not ceased from kissing me. And she didn't just anoint my head as some, you know, show of honor. She has taken her prized possession and dumped it all over my feet. Because the difference is, Simon, she has been forgiven of much sin. And so she loves much. But you have been forgiven of little sin. And you love little. I don't even really know if you love me. You just brought me over for dinner. That was nice enough, but... Do you love me? So, our our outline is grace, faith, and salvation. And what Jesus has just told us that she has been forgiven. She's received the grace, and she's acting out in faith. She's acting out in love, unquestionable love. Does anyone question that she loves Jesus? No. Do I question whether or not I love Jesus? Yes. Do you ever question whether or not you love Jesus? And I have one friend who says, this is my favorite story in the Bible, I can't wait to, 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 for you to preach it, and she says, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is beg him to let me kiss and wash his feet, and I'm thinking, I've never even thought of that. I don't even know if I want him to wash my feet. I just want to get in, <laughs> and then I want to go talk to Rich Mullins and my best friend Thomas. Do I love Jesus? like this woman loves Jesus. And here's what really scares me, because he looks to Simon, and he says, you see, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus doesn't for a second believe that Simon has little sins, right? It's a hyperbolic speech. Jesus always talks to the Pharisees this way. He doesn't mean you have little sin. He just means you think you only have little sin. Jesus always does this to the Pharisee. You think you have no need of repentance, But we are dangerously close to looking a lot like Simon. Wouldn't you agree? Because I could probably much guess there's no pimps or prostitutes or murderers or pedophiles in this room. I'm looking. I don't think there is. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. But by and large, most of us here here are just good old Americans. We work hard for our money. We pay our taxes and our bills. And all we really want is just a little slice of the good life and we just want to love our family. Am I right? And so really, we don't have big sin. We might just have little sin. You know, like maybe we didn't tithe or maybe we didn't love the poor or maybe we didn't, you know, say everything we should have said. But in as much as we begin to view our sins as little, we are at a huge risk of loving little. I want to say that again. In as much as we View our sin as a little thing. My sin is nothing compared to those prostitutes. Then we are at a huge risk of loving Jesus little. And that's the last question I thought we should discuss in a circle. How does that quote make you feel? How does that quote make you think? What does it make you think about? If you see your sin as little, then you're at a risk of loving Jesus little and loving others little. Talk about that for two more minutes. Well, I don't know if it's just my generation or if it's just my warped way of thinking, but I can't help but imagine that as Jesus is sitting here washing his feet or getting his feet washed, the first thing I wanted to know is, is Jesus being blessed by this? You know, is Jesus feeling something? Is he, is he being moved by her faith? I mean, I've been in foot washing ceremonies before when people wash my feet. I'm just, you know, blown away and, and crying my eyes out. And so I'm wondering if Jesus is emotionally feeling anything as this woman is giving her worship. And then that makes me think about how I worship him if I, cause, if I can stir up any emotion in God himself. You know what I mean? I love you so much and I just want, like when my son says, daddy, I'm just like, whatever you want, you just ask for it, you know? And if when this woman comes washing his feet, I can think she's saying, oh, woman, I love you too, you know? And I wonder if my worship does that. And then I also think that Jesus also sitting there eating, getting his feet washed, he has sort of in his omnipotent mind a flash forward. And this is, like I said, maybe my generational thing or maybe my own warped mind because I watch so many movies, and movies are nowadays always doing flashbacks and flash forwards and flashbacks again, and next time you don't even know if it's a flash forward or a flashback. If you've seen Lost, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've seen The Passion of Christ, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has these flashbacks of conversations he's had with his disciples and, or mom or something. So I'm imagining Jesus getting his feet washed, and he has this flash forward of the last week of his life where he knows he's going to take this foot washing thing and use it and begin a custom amongst Christians. He's going to wash his disciples' feet, and they're going to freak out about it, and he's going to say, I have to do it, and so do you. And so I kind of wanted to go back to that scene and explore this concept of foot washing a little bit before we you know, finish out this story because foot washing is just weird. Like, even in this culture, I know it's culturally, you know, okay to wash people's feet because they're sandals and all, but it would still be weird to wash someone's dirty feet. It was mostly reserved for the servant or the slave. And I know it was weird because that's why Jesus did it, to say, I'm a servant. I'm coming down here to wash your feet. But in America, you know, we wear socks, and we wear shoes, and we get pedicures. And I know men who have can you call it a pedicure for what a guy gets, or is it just a manicure on his feet? I don't know. He, he gets something on his feet, and I've never done it, obviously. My feet probably stink. But, you know, we, we have this thing about feet. Our feet are really clean, but at the same time, most Americans that I know are anti-feet and just freaking out weird about feet, and they get all, you know, it's off limits, and don't touch my feet, and don't look at my feet, and don't let me touch your feet, and don't let me look at your feet. We love shoes. We hate feet. And so for me to say I'm going to wash your feet or ask you to wash my feet, you're like, what are you, crazy? You might as well circumcise me. You know what I mean? That's the weirdest thing in the world. We have a weird custom. I'll illustrate that. If I came over here and pulled out a bowl and a towel and a pitcher and brought it out here, how many of you are starting to panic a little bit? Now, before I go any further, let me just say this. We're not going to wash feet tonight, okay? Because I know some of you are freaking out and mentally you're going somewhere like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is a weird place. And let me just say that again because I know some of you already started doing that and so you might not have heard what I just said. So let me just say it again. (laughs) We're not going to do this tonight, okay? But I did ask for a volunteer So that maybe we can kind of explore this idea of foot washing. And he has been gracious to come forward. And so thank you, Brad, for volunteering. We're going to just talk about foot washing as I wash Brad's feet. So welcome. Thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for sitting next to me earlier too. Jesus, on the night that he was being portrayed... He, he told his disciples, I could not wait for this night. I could not wait to come and eat this Passover meal with you. And then John says in chapter 13, but before the Passover meal, he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he put a towel around his waist, and he began to take a pitcher and, and a bowl and a basin, and he be- poured out some water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet one by one. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a foot washing ceremony before. I have. I grew up in a church that was a little more tactile and a little more emotional, I guess you could say. And so I've been a part of a lot of feet washing ceremonies. And so I've washed feet before. And I can tell you that every time I've washed feet, it's always been an emotional experience. And I'll tell you why. Because this is not a natural position for one dude to be in with another dude. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm very vulnerable right here. If Brad wanted to, he could kick me in the face and I would probably die, right? Or if he really wanted to, he could just stick my head in this water and drown me until I die. It's very vulnerable. And I'm putting myself under him in a sense and saying, you know, Brad, I love you as my brother in the Lord. And I honor you and I respect you. And I want you to know that I appreciate who you are. I may also be saying, I'm sorry, for the things that I've done that have wronged you or, and, and, I know, and I know that I'm wrong and so I'm humbling myself before you to wash your feet today and to tell you that I love you and I'm sorry and I'm not worthy even to be your friend but I want you to forgive me. That's what I've experienced when I've washed people's feet. And I can tell you this, I've never been in a situation like that that I wasn't bawling my eyes out in, in, in just uncontrollable vulnerability. I've, I've also been in a place where I've been the washee, you know, where someone's washed my feet. And again, it was like, this is weird, and I don't want you touching my feet, and I'm a little embarrassed of my feet. But again, it's like, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. Even there have been times where like, I'm a jerk to you. Why are you washing my feet? It's just making me so sad because you're putting yourself under me. As Jesus said, put yourself under your brother in the Lord and, 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 and consider others better than yourself and, and, and wash, it, wash one another's feet. And again, never have I ever been in a situation like that, that the two of us weren't bawling our eyes out and hugging each other and just, you know, crying and sapping up. And it was just very emotional and moving. Have you ever been a part of a foot washing ceremony? It's pretty, pretty intense. I mean, this probably wasn't intense for you because it was like, you know, on a stage or whatever, but it it can be very intense. And when Jesus did it, it was so intense. His disciples said, what are you doing? You can't be washing my feet. She says, but I have to. If you'll look with me in John chapter 13, and we'll look at that last piece. It begins in verse 12 is where I want to start. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put his outer garments back on, and he resumed his place at the table. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and right you are, for so I am. So if I then, being your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, comma, blessed Are you if you do them? So Jesus says, I just washed your feet. And you know what that means. I'm your master. I've put myself under you and humbled myself to you and served you. And if I did it as an example, then you should do it. And if you do, you will be blessed. And then he took the bread. And then he took the cup. And he said to them, this bread symbolizes my body, which is being broken for you. And this cup symbolizes the blood, which has been shed for you. And he says, not only have I served you by stooping down so low to wash the lowest part of your body, but I've also served you by myself stooping down so low and dying upon a tree in order to pay for your sin so that you can have eternal life. That is why Jesus can tell the woman, your sins are forgiven, because I am going to stoop lower than she has stooped, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And so tonight, we are not going to wash each other's feet, even though Jesus told us we ought to but we are going to remember him through the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. Another thing he told us we ought to do as often as we gather. So for the next four or five minutes, I wanna give your table an opportunity to serve each other communion, to pray, to confess your sins, and just to worship in your own heart, reflecting on what this woman has done in her, her form of worship, what Christ has done for us, and how you have come tonight to worship him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am humbled by the fact that you love me, and I am certain that everyone here is humbled in the same way. And, and the psalmist said, Lord, search my innermost being, search my heart, and know my ways, because he wanted you to, to, to grip the sin in his life and to bring it forward so that he could confess it to you and that he could be purified and right before you. So my prayer tonight, as we gather around these little tables, as we break the bread which symbolizes your body that was broken in order to pay for the sin that we are about to confess, and as we partake of the cup that is, is filled with the blood of Christ, it represents the blood of your son Christ that was broken just to cover our sin. I pray, Lord, that we will confess our sins, whether we do it in our own hearts or whether we do it to one another in our circles, or, or whether or not we just sit in silence and say, Lord, search me and know me and let me see my own sinfulness so that I can know that I sin much so that I can begin to love much. Well, our story is not completely finished. There's still a few more important elements, just about two or three more minutes worth actually. Um, we, we, We said that the outline was grace, and then faith, and then salvation. And so Jesus has offered some form of grace to this woman, and she responds in faith. She responds in love, and now we're about to see this element of salvation. She receives salvation from the Lord. And if you'll look again at Luke chapter 7, just the last two verses here, verse 48, Jesus had just finished telling Simon, "'Your sins are little, and so you love little.'" And then he says to her, he looks back at her, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then, verse 49 says, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And ignoring them, he says to the woman, your, listen to this verse, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so she received this forgiving grace of God. She acted out in faith and said, I believe that grace is true. It must be true. It has to be true for me to do this. And then Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Now she has salvation. And, and essentially, Jesus has answered all the questions amongst the skeptics in the room too, for those of you who may be skeptical. Jesus has said, you thought that I didn't know who she was, but I just said I know who she was, her sins, who which were many. But then he says, so yeah, I am a prophet, but more than a prophet, I'm God because I'm also going to say this, and you, your sins are forgiven, and you have been saved. So Now all the skeptics in the room are like, whoa, he's put it out there. I either got to believe this to be true or deny it to be untrue. And this is the outline of the gospel, essentially. All of us here have received the grace of God. All of us here are sinners, whether you think you're a little sinner or a chief sinner. And God has given grace to everyone. The Bible says, for God so loves you, so loves sinners, so loves the world, which is like 80% sinners, right? That he gave his son so that anyone who believes or has faith will not perish or suffer but live forever or be saved. And so we've witnessed this woman tonight receive grace, act out in faith, and then be saved. We've seen this woman tonight who was a harlot become a saint. We've seen this woman tonight who was a prostitute become the bride of Christ. And that can be true for you tonight as well. If there's anyone here who, for the first time, this is stirring in your heart, this is the first time you've heard it or maybe it begins to make sense. And I've been praying all week that someone, that God would bring someone here who didn't, you know, who's skeptical or who didn't believe this to be true and that this story would move them as it has moved me. If that's you tonight, I want you to know God is giving you grace. It's there. It's free gift of grace to all who believe they can be saved. And if that's you tonight, I would love to talk to you. I'm gonna stand in the back of the room and I just wanna talk. Not gonna get weird, not gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit or make you do some weird cart, cartwheel or anything. I'm just going to talk, see how you're feeling. Or maybe you're here tonight and you just had a rough week and, you, and there's some things on your heart that's heavy and you just wanna talk about that. Again, I'd love to just pray with you and talk with you. We're gonna sing a few more songs and my hope, honestly, is not that we just say, okay, it's over, so now we're going to sing a song, and we're going to leave. But my hope is that, wait, it's over? I've been moved by this woman. I've been moved by her just devotion to Jesus. And I want to worship. I want to give you my life, Lord. I want to cry. I want to I wash your feet with my hair. I can't really do that. But, but I, I want to I just worship you. Jeremy, you're in the same boat, I know. And I just want these next two songs to be about worshiping. Maybe you can stand up and lift your hands up and we won't scrutinize you, okay? Or maybe you can just sit there and scrutinize the theology of the song. That's cool too. But just worship Jesus in these next couple of songs. And then I'll be in the back to pray with anyone who would like. And then when those songs are over, I'd like to make an announcement. And then I'd love for you to stick around and have some coffee because we brewed a lot of it and just drink some of it. And let's just hang out. Let's worship.